When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, what's up? This is Sully from Godsmack. Strap on those boots, baby, because you are now in the trenches of the war room with the one and only Mistress Carrie right here on the Mistress Carrie podcast. What's up? This is Joe Rogan, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. I have so lovely pretty eyes. Hey, this is Brent from Shinedown, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hey, Carrie, go put your brow on, girl. Hey, this is Steven Tyler, and you'll be listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. What's up? This is Aaron from Stan. And you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hi, everybody. This is Dave Grohl from the Food Fighters, and you're listening to the one, the only, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is David from the band Disturbed, and you're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. Hi, Bruce Dickinson here from Iron Maiden. Yes, indeed. Miss Whiplash herself, Mrs. Carrie, is here to um, unchain your brain. Hi, this is Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. This is Dennis Leary. You are listening to my favorite, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is Corey from Stone Sour, and you're listening to. You have the privilege of listening to Mr. Scary. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Hey, it's Mistress Carrie reporting for duty from MCHQ for episode 169 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. And before we get to this week's guest, Ben Bruce from Asking Alexandria, I want to make sure you check out the three-quarter sleeve retro 70s baseball jerseys that are now available in the online Mistress Carrie shop. You want them in traditional black? We got them. You want them in purple? Oh, we got those too. Just head to mistresscarry.com and click shop or check the links in the show notes of this episode. Ben Bruce from Asking Alexandria is my guest again this week on the Mistress Carrie podcast. Ben made his first appearance on the show on December 1st, 2021 on episode 78. And now that the band just released their new album, Where Do We Go From Here? Ben came back on the show to talk about the new music and the Psycho Thunder tour with Asking Alexandria, The Who, Bad Wolves, and 0936. That show will be at the House of Blues in Boston on September 12th. Ben and I talked about the new music, touring, he and his family relocating back to England. We also talked at length about junk food and gardening, his parenting style, rock and roll history, and his love of the Beatles, constantly being in search of the perfect guitar tone, his childhood concert memories, his family pets, and we even talked about Dolly Parton. You can tell Ben absolutely loves all types of music. 
And we hit it off so well on episode 78 that he decided to come back on the show. So allow me to reintroduce you to Ben Bruce from Asking Alexandria. Mr. Ben Bruce, welcome back to the Hello. show. Thank you. It's been a little while. It has while. been. I had to look it up. You were last on the show on episode 78, which was December of 2021. Wow. It's been a long time. Yeah. We were celebrating your first ever number one song. Alone again. Yeah. And you told me that the Basses had taken you and your wife out to dinner to celebrate. Yeah. Yeah. I remember. Oh, man. You've made me a little bit sad now. I miss miss Eric. What a sweetheart he is. So we spent a lot of time talking about you living in America and, and living in South Carolina. And now you're back in England. Now I'm back in England, yeah, yeah. How was it that? It was just, uh, it was just the right time, you know. I think I I was getting really homesick, which sort of spurred on one of the, my moves to Charleston originally. You know, I think um, Charleston was sort of very British influenced, and uh, so it, it appealed to me. And then obviously Eric and Kelly living there, having friends out there, was it? And it was closer closer to England. Um, so I feel like in a way it was like a stepping stone to coming back because obviously my, my wife's from the West Coast of America. So I kind of feel like Charleston was a halfway point. It was a stepping stone to to get her used to something new and something fresh. And then now we've moved, we've moved back home, you know, and I think my parents are getting older um, and my, my kids have missed so many years with my parents, me being away. I, I left home when I was a child, you know, I was 16 and I've been away since then. Um, and so it's just, you know, time's time's precious. And I think you realize that the older you get, um, especially with my kids, they grow up. I feel like Faye was born yesterday. You know, she's um, she's about to be seven. Uh, and so I'm watching my kids grow up and I'm like, man, time really does fly by. And, and it, it just made me realize how much time I've missed with my mom, with my dad and my sister and all that. Uh, so, you know, I, I presented the idea to my wife. I was like, how would you feel if we were to move back to the UK? And she said, you've been away from your family for a really long time. So it's 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 my turn to move away and, and go and have someone new. So she was awesome. She was really supportive. Uh, and then her mom was like, well, I want to move to England. So her mom came with us anyway. So uh, now no one has to be without, which is uh, it's really nice. Well, your wife's originally from Arizona, if I remember correctly, right? Yeah, she is. Yeah. And we spent a lot of time on, yep, very different. And we spent a lot of time the first time I talked to you because you guys had just had another baby and it was your second baby of the pandemic. And Mm -hmm. now you've got this whole crew and they're adjusting to a whole other country. How was the move for the kids? It's they love it. They're so happy. They're so so happy to be to be able to see my mom, uh, especially a, a lot more, uh, and their cousin. Uh, so they're really happy. And then you know the other thing was I just we were at I, I was picking my daughter up, my oldest daughter from school one day, and as I always I was like, "How was your day? Did you do anything exciting? What was your favorite part of the day?" And she was like, "Oh, today was weird." And I was like, "Why was today weird?" And she was like, "Well, we had to hide under the table." Uh, because of a gun threat. And I was like, I was like, no, I can't, I can't do that. That like broke my heart, you know? So coming over here, I think they feel a lot safer. Um, And the fact that they're 
you know, like I said, my mum's around, their, their grandparents are around, their cousins are around. They've they found the move. They've loved it, you know. And it's funny because Finn moved over here and immediately his accent changed. Like he was ready for it. He was like, oh, no, he's, he's he speaks just like I do now, which is hilarious. The other ones have got a, like a mismatched, strange hybrid accent going on, uh, which I love as well. But, you know, for me as well, it's important, even though we've moved back to England, that they still you know, maintain those, those roots as well. They are half American. Um, and so we still like, we, we still celebrate American holidays over here. I, you know, we still talk about uh, Charleston and, and America as home, as well as here being home and try and let them know, you know, how lucky they are to have two homes. Um, so it's been, it's been good. It's been really good. What's one of the things that they got so used to in America, like food wise or something that you were like, we need to find a way to get that to the UK. Do you know what's so funny? There hasn't really been anything except for like the garbage. Like they really miss flaming hot Cheetos, you know, and, and and things like that. So I'm like, oh, okay. And there's a shop down the road from us that has all American sweets, uh, candy, all American crisps and stuff. So we just go over there and stock up on uh goldfish, um, flaming hot Cheetos, all like all the little snacks that they loved back back in the States that they don't get here. So, uh, which is nice, but it's twice the price because yeah, they've course. imported them yeah. to the U.S. So that's great. I have friends from England, and when they come to the U.S., they sign up for these boxes of British yeah, snacks to get them yeah, so that you... they can have those tastes of home. To get them through, yeah. It's funny, isn't it? It's all the things that you miss. My mom used to, all the years I lived in the States, my mom always would send me big care packages with stuff in it that I love that you can't get in the States. It's... it's uh. It's funny, the, the sort of little comforts that go a long way. And it is funny how those tastes get so ingrained in your memory, especially as a kid, yeah. that you that you have such strong memories attached to what adults sometimes consider insignificant things. Yeah, well, it's crazy because we went to a shop the other day down the street and um, it was uh, I walked in. It was a shop called B&M which is you know you know you don't have it in the states it's kind of, it's a strange shop it's it's kind of i mean in a way i suppose it's like a target because you can get clothes outdoor furniture you know plates food all kinds of things it's got a bit of everything in it um but i walked in and i, I went down the food aisle and i was like oh it was like i'd gone back i thought i'd stepped through those doors and gone back in time to the 90s because all the food that's gone now that you don't see in supermarkets anywhere from my childhood for some reason, this shop is still stocking. So I was like a kid at Christmas and my wife couldn't understand it. She was like, what's going on? Like, I've never heard of any of this stuff. And I was like, of course you haven't, <laughs> but I have. And I just bought everything and I introduced it to my kids. I was like, this is what I used to eat when I was growing up. I can't believe I found it. And they were eating it and they were like, oh, it's all right. And I was like, <laughs> you're like, it's delicious. You don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Are you even mine? <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. But that just leaves more for me. Well, I was wondering <clears throat> when I called to set this interview up and they were like, well, Bruce is available, I, but Ben's available, but the earlier, the better. And those words I've never heard setting up an interview with a rock star ever. I was like, the earlier, the better? Now I know yeah. why it's because you're back in England. 
Yeah, back in England. Also, I'm, I'm, for me, uh, is uh, earlier the better. I do get up. We get up at like six or seven in the morning most mornings because there's four kids running around. Like I wake up most mornings to giggle, either giggling and laughter and happiness from four children, or screaming and arguing from four children. It's one of two ways, and I know which way my day is going to go depending on which one of those ways I'm woken up. Uh, today it was laughter and giggles and tickling. So. Nice. It's four kids under seven. And the last yeah. time yeah. you and I talked, it was four kids under five. What's the yeah. most ridiculous argument that you have had to break up with the kids? Oh, there's, there's, a, uh, it's every single day. There's some <laughs> kind of strange argument. Today, the, the massive argument, my oldest daughter, who's about to be seven, and my oldest son, who's about to be six, uh, were arguing like, Going red in the face, screaming at each other on how you pronounce water. Because I say water uh, just because of where I'm from in England. But obviously there's a T in water, so it's water. Um, and Faye's yelling at him going, it's water. He's like, it's water. It's water. No, it's water. And I'm like, guys, it doesn't matter. I, You know, everyone knows what you're saying. You say it how you want to say it. You say it how you want to say it. Um, and I was like, but technically it's water. You know, just lazy accents, mate. And he was like, oh, so that argument was settled quickly. And then the other day um, we were walking down the street. We'd gone to visit my mom for her birthday and we're walking down the street. And my youngest son, he's three. um, He walks, we're walking down the road and he walks past a lamppost. And I see him like, look at it and carry on. And then he looks at it again and he turns around, walks all the way back. And just licks it, and then go, carries on walking. And I'm like, "What? What are you doing? You can't do that." And my, my daughter's like, "Yeah, you can't do that." And my oldest son's like, "Yeah, he can. He just did." And she's like, "No, you can't. It's day." And she, he's like, "Yes, you can. He just did it." I'm like, "What is going on right now?" My youngest son's just licked a lamppost, and my other two kids are arguing about it. Bizarre. I wish I was a kid again. Those are the big worries in their lives. Right. Can I lick that lamppost? Although, to be fair, you're in a it rock looks like a band. Giant yeah. Well, to be fair, you're in a rock band. All of us have been around our friends that are musicians that have had enough to drink where they've been licking lampposts as adults. To be fair. I may have licked a lamppost at some <laughs> point. Yeah. Oh, well. Bless him. I couldn't be mad. The last time you and I talked, the idea of traveling back and forth to England was a little more complicated because of the pandemic as well. Yeah. And everyone was yeah. kind of frozen where they were. And it also made it really hard for you to do what you do, which is to be in a touring band. And we talked a lot about our shared love of gardening. Now that you're back in England... Is there a place to have your beloved garden? Please tell me yes. Yeah, it's so funny. I spent everyone, all my friends make fun of me now because um, all I do is garden. So I will not make fun me, of you for that. I'm planting flowers and trees and bushes. And I got more trees yesterday. I got two olive trees, uh, two mature olive trees and two two mature climbers. And I, I just, I'm obsessed with it. I love it. And it's so like fulfilling to watch them grow and flourish and i'm like oh you know and we try i try and plant since we've moved into our new house i've dug up a lot of the the back garden because we live on what we call out here a village green so right you open our front door 
and there's just the big in our village there's a big green area where the kids can run and play and people walk their dogs and there's a playground so we've got that literally two steps outside of our front door so the back garden i'm like we don't the kids don't need that much of it so we've dug up a lot of it um and planted wild wild flower seeds so that we can try and sort of attract bees and butterflies and have have somewhere because i feel like having just a big flat lawn it's not the greatest is it it's a lot of upkeep it's uh takes a lot of water um so you know i've just been out here watching the, the flowers grow and and it, i don't know I'm so old i'm getting so old i don't think it's an age thing though i i think that so many people that are younger are getting into gardening because they are environmentally conscious and it is something that, especially during COVID, it was one of the only things you could do. And I yeah. think that a lot of people discovered it and then fell in love with it. Like, I always grew up doing it because it was a heritage thing with my Sicilian grandfather that they did in the old country. Yeah. And, and my other grandfather, who... At some point, his family came from England. We haven't been able to really trace it back how far. But after the after the war, when he came home from World War II in Korea, it was like a thing that he did. And so always having... Therapeutic. Yeah. yeah. So I think there's a lot of people that during COVID just realized, wow, this really is why my grandparents did it. Yeah, and I yeah. do feel funny, better it? doing it. Yeah, it's funny because I've got one of our next door neighbors. I don't know their exact age, but they're quite old. I think they're probably in their their seventies. And I talk to them all the time because they're always outside gardening. And you know, she in particular, the the um, uh, my next door neighbor, she's been gardening for her whole life. She said, and so she's always helping me whenever I get like plants out. She comes over with her hat and on, and she's like, she's ready to go. And I'm like, okay, where do we plant these? What do we do with these? It's so funny. Um, just it is. It's just such a, a a nice thing to do, a nice way to spend your time, and it's nice to show my kids as well, like how important things like that are. And when all the butterflies and everything are in the garden, I get to tell them about you know different pollinators and stuff. And I feel like that's uh, it's just a good thing for them to be aware of and to to have. Well, to have a connection with where your food comes from. Since you can't live on hot Cheetos alone. You can't. You can't. My wife has tried. You can't. <laughs> can't do it. It was also a really good icebreaker, I bet. Because when you move into a new neighborhood, I remember when I moved into mine, the purple-haired rock radio DJ moving into the neighborhood for yeah. a moment had that scratch the needle across the record thing in the neighborhood. It was like, here we go. The neighborhood's gone to shit. So I imagine yeah. there was a little bit of panic when the tattooed rock guitar player moved into the neighborhood for those neighbors next door. Possibly. I don't, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I'd never really thought, thought about it. They've always been um, super. Well, we actually moved in before they did. So they were moving into our territory. Oh. Um yeah. And uh, but they were, you know, they were nice. They had some they had some. I remember the first time we met them. It was the middle of the night. We had only just moved in. We were new to the area as well. And they moved in maybe a week after us. And so we were trying to keep, because we flew our pets over from the States. So we were trying to keep my cat indoors to get acclimated 
um, as much as possible. You're supposed to keep them indoors for a few weeks. You know what I mean? So they can get their sense and everything. And she got out one night and I was like, oh my God, we've only been here like two weeks. It's pitch black. She doesn't know the area. So I was freaking out and I was nervous. So I was like outside trying to get her in and she was running away from me and going between cars because she's an outdoor cat. She loves it. And I remember she went under my neighbor's car and so I'm like, okay, I've got a big wooden, no, not wooden, cardboard sort of poster roll that has come over from the States with po- a poster in it. And I'm trying to usher her around and herd her and shepherd her in a direction. And she goes under my neighbor's car. And it's it's got to be about 10 o'clock at night. It's, so you it's look nighttime. like the crazy guy right now. So crazy. And I was in my boxes because <laughs> I was just going downstairs uh, to check the doors and everything before I got into bed and she ran out and I was like, oh, so I'm out, outside in my boxes and a and a pole, cardboard pole, and I'm trying to wash this cat around and my wife comes out and I'm like, she's under the neighbor's car. I'll stand here in case she comes this way and I can catch her. And you go, you go in and get her. So my wife goes under the neighbor's car and we're, we're like trying to get the cat and the light goes on in our neighbor's house and they both come outside and that's the first time they've met us. My wife's under their car and I'm in my underwear with a cardboard tube and I'm like, uh, and they were like, and they just looked at me for about, it felt like five minutes, but it must've been about five, 10 seconds, really quick. And they went, your cat's under the car. And I went, thank God you realize that that's what's happening. I'm so sorry. We're not always like this. We are, but, this is an awkward way to meet, but since then they've they've been they've been lovely. I can only imagine the conversation between the two of them when they went back in the house. <laughs> I can only imagine uh, the conversation prior to opening the door. Should we open the door? <laughs> what are the What are these people doing under our car? And what were the other neighbors doing? How many people were watching us in the neighborhood? I just imagine them all there with their popcorn, just watching laughing having a good time there's been so many things that have happened to me like that since moving into this neighborhood one of which because like i said we live on a village green so we're all the houses are around this big rectangular piece of land so you can see and one morning it was when it was christmas and my dog is an english mastiff she's huge she's really big she weighs more than i do and she's a big scaredy cat. She's she's lovely, but she's a big scaredy cat. And I took her out to go to the toilet. She doesn't like going outside because um, she doesn't like loud noises and stuff. And I took her out and a big bang happened. And she had just finished taking a dump. And I was like going to pick it up. And she took off. And I went straight into her dog shit. And she just <laughs> dragged me through the village green. I end up like getting onto my ass and onto my feet. And I'm like water skiing behind this dog with her shit streaked all the way up my my t-shirt and i'm just there's like neighbors galore and i'm like well this is their christmas present from me and it's never going to get any better than this they're going to talk about this for the rest of their lives and i finally get her home and my wife's like what happened i was like don't don't ask me that i need to go i need to go and shower i need i need to go do something to cool off oh it was uh it was like something you'd see in a movie Couldn't believe it. Now, I don't, I've never lived in England, but I've visited. Obviously, growing up in New England outside of Boston, I understand the concept of things being smaller, right? Yeah. Yeah, So you've got a family of four and this giant mastiff who are used to living in South Carolina 
where I would think there's a little more elbow room. Yeah. And now you've got everybody back in England. How has that adjustment been adjusting to the limited space? And what were you like? We can't take this with us. This cannot go. There's no room. We didn't bring a lot of stuff with us. We, um, we told our friends, whatever you guys want, you guys can have. And two of our friends turned up in a, they also, they had three children, they had three triplet daughters and they, they were always around at our house and they came around one day with a U-Haul instead of their car. And they just packed up all of our stuff and took it back to their house. And I was like, well, <laughs> that sorts that out. But you know, when we were in South Carolina in Charleston, we had 13 acres of land and we had, uh, you know, a massive house and a pool and all this stuff. And we've come back home and it's, it's a small house. It's like, um, a small Victorian sort of, you know, terraced house like you get in, in the UK. Um, and everyone was like, you're really going to struggle. You know, you're going to miss the space. There's a lot of you. But the thing is, every house we've ever had, and even that last one, which was, you know, spacious, we've never used any of it. As a family, we're always together. So we were always just the six of us. We're always on the same sofa on top of each other watching TV or we were always hanging out. So we were never really separated anyway. So moving into like a smaller house or the smaller area hasn't affected us at all because it's just how we've always spent our time anyway. And th- the actual thing that's nicer about out here that we found is the States is so big. So you drive everywhere, you get in the car and you go places. Whereas here we walk everywhere or the kids ride their bikes. So, you know, we have a, a cafe in the village or the shops are across the street or the local pub is down the street or the playgrounds down the street. So we walk everywhere. Um, and I feel like that's, that's been really nice for the kids too. Cause even though we had 13 acres of land in Charleston, there was, there were alligators, there were, you know, bobcats, there were what, poisonous venomous snakes. So they didn't really get to roam around everywhere as much as we would have liked them to, which is why we bought the land. We were like, they're going to love this. Um, not really thinking about all those things. Whereas here, you know, they do, they get to spend a lot more time outdoors. So it's it's not really been a huge adjustment like everyone was sort of telling me it was going to be. People were genuinely going, you're going to miss the space. And uh, thankfully, we haven't had to worry about it. I talked to Luke Spiller from the Struts recently, and we were talking about that never-ending ping-pong match over the ocean for rock and roll between America and the UK and how each generation of rock and roll kind of feeds back over the ocean. His theory I thought was really interesting and I want to see what you think about it. He said the UK produces the greatest bands and America produces the greatest solo artists. Now, of course, there are exceptions, like an Elton John or an Aerosmith. But he was like, if you really think about it, it's, it's true more often than not. And I thought about it and I was like, you know, I like to think, what do you, so I wanted to know what you think. Yeah, maybe that's an interesting one because you do, you know, you have a, I feel like the UK has a lot of fantastic solo artists as well, though, when you think about, um, sort of Freddie Mercury, when he went solo, Elton John was a great example um, you know, we have 
Harry Styles went solo and is incredibly successful. We've got Adele, Louis Capaldi. Um, there's 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 a lot of sort of solo success out here as well. The thing that I noticed the most about music in general, not just rock and metal, um, in the UK compared to the US is I think over here we strip it back more. There's a lot of artists that are just go out there with an acoustic guitar or a piano and that's it, you know, and, and, and that's what it is. And then what I think the States do is, is they sort of embellish it. So there's more embellishment in, in American artists than there is, you know, I feel like, you know, if you compare the first sort of metal band in, uh, you know, Black Sabbath uh, or Motorhead and then fast forward to to bands like I don't know Metallica even there was just a lot more embellishment when you went and listened to Metallica you know with all the crazy fast solos and all the different sections and and um, it's just one of the, that's what I think I find interesting is is that's where it changes to me the UK is a little bit more stripped back dialed back and the US is a little bit more pizzazz. It seems like that as a culture too, not just with music. Yeah, actually, you know, when you when you say that, that is it is very much the case. I mean, I think about even small things I've noticed, like when you go out in the States to a lot of places um, to to meet up with friends or have food or grab drinks or whatever, there's TVs sort of dotted about everywhere. There's TVs and so much stuff going on. And when you go out out here, there's none of that. You know, it's 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 more stripped back. It's just people talking and eating food um whereas there's, there's there is you know it is it's probably is a cultural thing the cars are flashier uh and bigger you know the the food's bigger there's more lights there's more tv it's just you know and i think um it is it's just a big cultural thing it's funny i never thought of it like that before that the how that lends itself to music as well it's uh that's an interesting thing to ponder the last time you and I talked, we had a very long discussion about the search for guitar tone. And we talked a lot about technology yeah. and the future of rock and roll. And it's funny that we're having this conversation because we were talking about the future of rock and roll almost for it to, to survive, needing to strip it all back and go back to the roots of the art form, which is... a. Yeah. What a lot of newer rock bands are kind of doing is rediscovering the simplicity of rock and roll. Yeah. And I think I think that is I still think that's so important, you know, and I often find myself sat listening to that home to the Beatles um, and thinking. Or like even Led Zeppelin or something, thinking, man, what would people think now if this got released now? And unfortunately, I think people would go, oh, this sounds terrible. And they wouldn't give it the chance. But that's why I think it's so important. And there are a lot of um, musicians doing it now, sort of stripping stripping it back a bit. I mean, we did it on our previous album, See What's On The Inside, you know, and I think we're so much better off for it. We're, you know, we learned a lot more about our instruments, about songwriting, uh, and actually, it was a lot. It was really difficult to do it because you're not hiding behind things. Um, and for in in that regard, we've we came out with an even bigger respect um, than we already had for for music and for rock music and for musicians and and instrumentalists and stuff. And so, you know, I think it's important to sort of remember that and 
go back and listen to i think that's such a crazy thing the fact that you can go back and listen to how poor the recording quality was a lot of the times back in the you know 50s 60s but the songs still today we're listening to them and the songs stand the test of time and i think that speaks volumes as to you know the quality of of songwriting and musicianship um and it's important you know and and i really would encourage a lot of musicians and people to do more of that if they uh if they can he's always popping in he did last time too yeah he's always about somewhere hello i got fruity chooties you got fruity chews Right. Can you can you wait inside for me? I won't be too much longer. Okay, no one's take mum's doctors. Got a bug on your shoulder. <laughs> Go on. Can you wait? Can you wait inside for me? Are you gonna wait there? All right, mate. Very good. Shh, be quiet now, okay? Thanks, buddy. He does have an English accent already. Does a little bit, doesn't he? Yeah. It's funny. He's hilarious. Well, what's really funny about those old recordings is that, like, the Beatles, for example, they were literally on the forefront of technology for their time. That was avant-garde stuff. It was. It was. And they spent a lot of time capturing those recordings and and learning the songs. I mean, I've got so much... I've got so much Beatles stuff, uh, records and books, and, and I've spent so much time studying them. And I've got recordings of them they're like okay this is you know uh strawberry fields take 57 and they just you don't do that anymore there's no 57 takes of anything because you just edit it and you fix it and bing bang boom it's done um and that just that blows my mind as well so they were at the forefront of it but it took a lot to capture those sounds and when you listen to them and compare them to the sounds you can capture now with a lot with a lot less effort um it's pretty it's pretty crazy to see how fast music and, and technology sort of progressed. And so it really is a short period of time. That was, you and I spent a lot of time talking about gardening last time and a lot of time talking about the Beatles. And then this Peter Jackson thing came out where we were watching Paul McCartney's process yeah. and watching the Beatles write songs in color. Yeah. And every musician I know watched that and was like, oh my God, that's how it's done. That's what it feels like in my head. Did you have that experience watching that? Of course, you know, and then that just led me to go down the rabbit hole in my own mind of, you know, the way that they created and crafted these songs and the way that they then you know, worked at them until and to a point where they were happy to share them with the world and and sort of where those songs live in our world now. And I'm just sat there. And the, my biggest thing is they did all this. They created all of this in, in that way. And it was incredible. But their career was this long. It was so short lived, which is something when you think of the Beatles, you're like, yeah, they've been around for 60 years. They've been around forever. And it's like, no, the Beatles were around for the tiniest. It was like, tiniest what, seven and a half time. years, something like that, that they yeah, actually if, recorded if, if music that. together? If that, yeah. And it was crazy. And I'm just like, that makes it even more insane to me. And it just, it, they just had it. That group of people together just had whatever the magic source is that they found it and they, and it worked, you know, and it didn't need to work for a long time because 
it's lasted forever and it will last for decades, decades on. When you and I talked last, you talked a lot about working on a defining sound for your guitar. With this new record coming out, did you make any steps forward in that journey for you? And are you satisfied with what, where you're at now, or are you still charting a course forward? This album was a completely different tape for us. And it was more about the feel after the fact, like how, what's the energy coming back out of the speakers. So whereas on the last one, I was searching so hard and perfecting tone. And I wanted it to sound like my guitar on the last record was singing. Like if it was a clean tone, I wanted it to sound like someone was whispering to you. And 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 I just wanted that from my guitar. Whereas this time, um, I didn't focus as much on the tone, more of the energy um, that it fed you coming out the speakers. So sometimes there were there were tones that just on their own, for instance, in um, Bad Blood, it just it was quite an ugly tone. It didn't sound nice to to my ears but that was exactly what it needed so when it's come out the speakers and it's just going dilla, 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 and i wanted it to sound ugly and it did sound ugly so you know i i spent less time on tone and more time on what do i want the feeling and the energy coming out to be um and so it was it was just a different process you know and so for me um, when I'm pl- playing at home, I still love messing around with tone um, and stuff like that. But it's it's hard to, I don't know. It was just a different journey, this, this new album, I think. After you and I talked, I talked to Slash. And I said, you know, you, you have one of the most recognizable guitar tones in all of rock and roll. Yeah. And he actually was taken aback by that. And he was like, that's a huge compliment because every guitarist is on a constant journey for tone. And hearing yeah. Slash say that to me, I was like, dude, you already found it. Like, you're Yeah, Slash. you found it in the beginning. Yeah. It's funny, though. It makes you, it's just, it's one of those things, isn't it, that makes you wonder. Maybe he wasn't happy with that tone. And maybe it's not the tone that we all fell in love with. Maybe it was the record you know and it's like that record is so big and that tone on of his guitar on that records from synonymous with that massive record maybe and maybe he's there going oh but i could make the tone so much better now you know for him maybe it's it's frustrating but i'll never hear it. it's like you said ben you're crazy <laughs> he is bonkers um for, for him i feel like you know, I'll always listen to that record. When you say Slash, immediately, just like you said, I hear his tone. It's immediate. Like, yeah, that's what Slash sounds like. Uh, but then you got to think from his perspective. He's like, he did that so long ago. It's got to be frustrating. He probably does want to experiment with more tones and, and stuff. So it's it's just one of those things. I just saw them in Boston last night. They played Fenway Park in a torrential downpour. I mean... That's amazing. I have not been that wet, not swimming, since Woodstock 94. Soaked to did the they, bone. Did they play November Rain? Yeah, but it but by that In time, but that time it wasn't raining anymore. Oh. <clears throat> but what was crazy is he hit one note of Sweet Child of Mine. 
Everybody knew exactly one note. Yeah. And everybody knew exactly what was going on. What was coming. Yeah. See, and that's special. That's that doesn't happen. You know, there's a there's a million great guitar players out there and you can recognize their sort of sound. You know, for me, like I don't know, Eric Clapton off the top of my head. I can tell his sound from a mile off, but not his tone. You know, there is a forever pursuit for for, for guitar players and tone. And I think Slash is one of the few examples where, yeah, like you say, you say Slash and you hear his guitar. And that's that's pretty spectacular. You know, there's there's only a few. Dimebag Daryl, I think, also had a tone. I was like, yeah, I hear that and I know it's Daryl. Um, but that also might have been just his his style of playing too was so instantly recognizable. But um, Slash, yeah, he's a uh, he's he's he has the most instantly recognizable tone, I think, of any guitarist that's ever lived. They didn't, it wasn't raining during November rain, but Guns N' Roses now is playing Slither from Velvet Revolver, which is a song I love. And that's cool. Which I thought was really cool because former, we're in the era of nice Axel. Yeah. Former Axel would never have done that, but nice Axel and what was crazy is that they started playing it and it started raining. And by the time the chorus came in, here comes the water. It just poured and everybody was dancing and getting naked. Like, I will That's remember amazing. that moment. I've been to a lot of shows over the years. I'll remember that moment for the rest of my life. It was this magical moment where the crowd Everybody was just wet and they were like, okay, we're just, this is what we're doing. And it was awesome. But that's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. And like you said, you'll remember that forever. You know, even if you've seen uh, Guns N' Roses a hundred times prior to that, that will be the one. Yeah. And it wasn't even a Guns N' Roses song. That's what's crazy. Uh, yeah. That's funny. Well, that's, that's part of what makes, you know, these things so magic is that the atmosphere reacts with what's happening on stage and and that can that can sometimes be the best part of the show i think is there a moment out of all of the shows you've ever been to as a fan that strikes you like that a moment where you were just like this is amazing yeah. and you'll you know just what? never forget it for me it, it i do have one and it's it's so small and it's so simple but i remember i went to go and see machine head when i was really young um I was really young. I must have been, I don't even know at this point, maybe 14, something like that. And I went to go see them. Um, And I walk out, uh, I I leave, I get out of the car, my mom drops me off and I'm so excited. And um, I'm at the front of the stage and I'm waiting for Machine Head to come on and the stage goes black and you just hear, um, and I was like, oh, and the whole crowd erupts. And I remember this, the crowd surging and I was like, I'm going to die. I was so skinny and I was so small. And this massive biker dude puts his arms around me and he just pushes off the off the barricade and, he's, and he holds me back. And I'm like, holy cow, this is amazing. So the machine head walk out and they're walking across the stage and uh, Rob points at me and he goes, and I'm like, holy cow and i'll just i'll never forget it you know and it's it's one of those moments where i was like this is insane i've got this strange man 
taking care of me. And so I, I had like my own section after that in, <laughs> in his arms. And I just got to march and bounce up and down. And it was it was one of the greatest things ever. And I'll, I'll never forget it, you know. And I think I've had a lot of good experiences at shows. But that that one for me, you know, the lights going down, hearing the beginning of the set starting um, and, and, and that guy, that strange man, just making sure I was safe and everything, the band coming out and acknowledging me. Uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a magical moment. And now that you're getting ready to go out on the road again, you... Every show you play, you have the opportunity to give that moment to a young fan as well. Yeah, that's been that's been one of my my greatest things, my most favorite things about um, touring. And you know, it's 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 got to the point where I'm not going to be able to do it really anymore because of my family situation and um, my wife losing her vision um, and all and all that that stuff. But so for me. You know, there's been so many moments throughout my career like that where I'm like, that's magic. You know, even as far as I, parents bringing their young kids to our show and me being able to stand there and watch them create memories together that, that that's going to last for them. You know, and it's like that's a magical thing for me is 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 you're, you're creating memories with with for the fans and the people in the audience and and you know like just like you and that Guns N' Roses thing and me and the Machine Head thing people walk away with those memories and they last a lifetime and you know I think you you can't be buried with with money and possessions and cars and houses and stuff but when you are buried you've got you're you're put down there with those memories you know and I think they're the only things we can hold on to forever and and being being able to do that um, for so many years on so many stages in so many countries that's a I mean it's a privilege isn't it really I mean you don't you grow up hoping one day you could do something like that the fact that I've been able to do it um, you know it, it's it's never goes unnoticed for me how, just how lucky I've been sort of over the years to be able to be that, that be in that position so it's it's been pretty magic just so I don't misunderstand so are you saying that you're not going to be touring with the band now or just you understanding yeah, I, that in the future, you know, you're not going to be able to. No, I don't think I'm going to be able to. I, w- I won't be touring with the band, um, at least at least for now. I've just got, you know, with the with the kids, like I said, my wife was born with glaucoma and uh, she underwent multiple surgeries um, when she was born and they brought back her vision a little bit. But over the years, it's been deteriorating and she's gone completely blind in one eye now. And uh, she can't, she's, her vision in her remaining eyes is not very good at all. So she's not allowed to drive. So I'm the only one that can drive the kids to school, you know, drive them to doctor's appointments, drive her to doctor's appointments, go get, you know, shopping and do all the things that you need to do. And uh, to, to to leave her home, unable to do those things with four children uh, while I disappear off for, for weeks and months at a time, you know, it's just not, it does sound like hard work, doesn't it? It is hard work. <laughs> Um, and you know, it's just got to the point where you have to realize, you know, I've been so fortunate, like I said, to be able to spend so many years, thank you, mate, doing stuff like that. But you know, I'm at a different place in my life now, and I have to take care of my family and take care of my kids and put put their needs first. So, you know, maybe it's not forever, you know, um, but for, for now, it's definitely one of those things where they you know, they need me home. I have to be home. I have to be here for them. And, uh, you know, it's, which is good. You know, it's, it's a new, a new thing 
a new chapter um and it's an important one you know and like we said in the beginning of this time flies by so fast i don't want to wake up one day and have missed it all you know and 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 not be there and it would it's you know i'm sure a lot of people go oh that's awesome you know your kid gets to go, and go oh my dad's a rock star like that's so cool but i'd much rather my kids grow up and go my dad was always there you know he was always there when we needed him he was always there for us and so you know that's just a decision i've i've had to make that's the best decision for my family and it, you know it's a it's a tough one it's a it's a sad one but it's the right right one but you're still a member of the band and working on music and all of that stuff yeah. still I yeah, don't want yeah. You know, to be like, oh my God. No, 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 of course not. You know, and I think the thing for me is I love I love writing music and I'll always love writing music, you know, and and uh you know, I've even I've been sat here now writing new Ask and Alexandria songs still and, and talking to the guys about the new songs and everything like that. So, you know, it's just it's just for me leaving home, like I say, and leaving my wife to raise four four kids isn't uh it's just not it's not possible, you know. Doesn't sound like you like four adults. Well, you get super sad when I leave, don't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now you're all sweaty. You don't like being sweaty. I do get very sweaty, I'll tell you right. You don't like it. <laughs> Hang on a minute, okay? I'm nearly done. Patience. You've been so patient. I can't count the times on the show that there's been a cameo appearance from a member of the family or one of the animals or both. It happens all the time. Yeah, it's bonkers. He, it's always Finn. He manages somehow to always make his way in. And I'm, I sit here and I didn't do it today, but because I've. I know where to put the picture. I was the one that know where to put the picture. You did put the picture up, so thank you. But I came in here the other day and I was like, ah ha ha. I'll lock them out so they can't come in and, <laughs> and disturb, disturb me. And so I, I locked it, I picked it up only to realize that there's also a, a, a flick on the outside and that's how you get into the building, into the studio from out there. So I didn't actually do anything, did I? Just pretty clever. Not on my behalf, mate. You are very clever. But can you give me two minutes? Yeah? Yeah. Thank you. Well, the last time Sorry. we talked, you were working on songs for this new album that's now just coming out. Where do we go from here? And then the band going out yeah. with The Who, with Bad Wolves, with 0936. And now you're yeah. saying you're already working on new music again. Yeah, I feel, for me, it's, that's, I feel like that's just been the, 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 the standard way of working for me since, since this band started. I think because once you've created an album and you've written it and you've recorded it, all the other stuff has to happen so on the on the back end. You know, the labels figuring out when it's coming out, they're putting it together, it's getting mixed, it's getting mastered, there's artwork being done, there's merch being made. And I'm sat there going, oh, I like writing songs. So while they're doing all that, I just keep writing. And then they're like, okay, it's time to release the album. I'm like, oh, well, I have another one. So... Um, it looks just, like it might run in the family that. too, because Finn just grabbed your guitar back there. I know he's always he's always playing guitar. He wants a drum kit. Oh man! Um, he wants a drum kit. He wants to be even louder than he already is somehow. Well, yeah. before I let you go, a, a question has come up on the show that I have to ask every musician now. I will preface it by saying. I call it the geezer butler question because 
Geezer Butler from Black Sabbath came on the show. And we were talking music and all this stuff. And he does a lot of work rescuing animals and supporting animal rescues. And he lets it slip that he's got 13 cats and five dogs. That's That's a lot. That's the look I had on my face, too. And I asked him, how do you keep track? Like, how do you name that many animals? And Geezer Butler says to me, that he names all of his animals after gangster rappers. And I have never right. laughed so hard in my life. And so now I have to ask every musician where they got their animals' names from. And I blame it on Geezer Butler. That's funny because our, our, my Mastiff I was talking to you about earlier, she's she's called Dolly Barkton um, after Dolly Parton um, because she has, she has like this butterfly white butterfly logo in her fur here looks just like dolly parton's logo and um, my wife's absolutely obsessed with dolly it's like her idol she loves dolly um and so yeah we have this massive she's a beautiful english mastiff but she's huge and she's slobbery and she's got the most beautiful name and she's called dolly <laughs> yeah. well oh, that- we're going to teach you how to handshake well the handshake but that dolly destroyed how are we going to I'm not too sure, mate. I'll I'll let you know in about five minutes. (laughs) Well, you and your wife will have an album that you can listen to in common because Dolly's got a rock record coming out and there's two Beatles on it. She got the Beatles back together. How has she done that? She's the only one that could have got the Beatles back together. The remaining Beatles are... I, I could not believe it. I was like, wow, if anyone could do it, it's Dolly. That's unbelievable. Yeah, and they covered Let It Be. I know, which is my all-time favorite Beatles song. Some one of my all-time favorite songs, actually. Rumor has it. Rumor has it she tried to get Robert Plant and Jimmy Page, and that didn't happen. So that's the rumor. I don't know if it's true, but that's the rumor. That's where that's where the line is drawn. (laughs) That's who she can't get back together. That's the limit of Dolly Parton's powers, right there. Yeah, that's a shame. But I'm I'm just happy about the Beatles. I can't believe that. When I, I read that, I was like, I know, me too. Well, insane. I'm, I'm so bummed. I'm not going to see you in a few weeks here in Boston on the tour. But I'm so glad that we got to reconnect again. Congratulations on the new album. And thank you so much. Fingers crossed. It looks like you're going to have another number one song on your hands if things keep going the way they're going. Fingers crossed. It's climbing. It's I know. Quickly, climbing very quickly. So yeah. we'll see. All right, I'll, I'll let you go so you and Finn can go jam on the guitar and play with the dog. It was so good to see you. Thank you so much, you too. Take care, I'll speak to you soon. There he is, Ben Bruce from Asking Alexandria. The new album, Where Do We Go From Here, is available everywhere. You can see the band touring with The Who on the Psycho Thunder Tour with Bad Wolves and 0936. And if you want to see him September 12th at the House of Blues in Boston, Click the link in the show notes of this episode. While you're there, you'll also find the link to his first appearance on episode 78 and the link to this episode's corresponding playlist, which features a bunch of Asking Alexandria music and all the other artists and songs that we referenced in the interview. You'll also find Ben Bruce's social media links, all the links for Asking Alexandria, and all the links for me and the Mistress Carrie podcast. And that includes the online Mistress Carrie store. Don't forget, you gotta check out those 70s-inspired three-quarter sleeve baseball jerseys. 
They come in black and purple and they rock. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe to the Mistress Carrie podcast. New full-length episodes come out every Wednesday, plus every weekday you get the sit rep, which boils down all of the day's rock news and entertainment updates in around five minutes. Join me live every Tuesday night at 8.30 Eastern on my official Facebook page for my video show, Cocktails in the War Room, and you can always find me on the radio. The Mistress Carrie Podcast, a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.